Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you to the team for leading us. I, uh, I opted not to wear my nightgown this morning, even though it was super comfortable. Uh, of course, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, last Sunday in our Sunday school, uh, it was an invitation day to bring friends uh, and, and kind of they had a pajama party and so the Sunday school teachers and the kids were all running around in their pajamas and their house gowns and slippers and all those kind of things and so I wore mine uh, and it was super comfortable. I don't know why people don't wear those more often just kind of, you know, while they're going through life. Uh, you know, I would have no problem. If you want to wear that to Superstore or wherever, you go right ahead. Uh, but I'm super excited. Last Sunday was an opportunity for kids to bring friends and for Sunday school to have some fun with those kids and invite them into a church environment to show them that church is really not such a terrible place. Uh, and praise the Lord, we had 18 first-time visitors in Sunday school last week. Uh, yeah, that, we just... Praise the Lord for that. And uh, so keep praying for those teachers, the Sunday school, those kids, their friends, all those kind of things. There is going to be another one coming up uh, between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. And, and yes, we will have some fun. And yes, be prepared for some things that might be a little bit different to what you're normal or what you're used to, I should say. If you're visiting with us, we have been slowly journeying through the book of Luke. This morning is no different, and as we continue in Luke, we're in chapter 12, we'll get into the passage in just a moment, uh, but as we go into scripture and as we dive into the, the text this morning, I was reminded of an experience I had back when I was working in the corporate world. Uh, I haven't always been in ministry, I haven't always been a pastor. Before I came into full-time church work, I worked in the, the corporate environment, as worked in IT as a database administrator. Uh, and one of the little companies that I worked in was a small startup company, so just kind of there were about eight of us in the office and one day I was sitting in the office, this little kind of open plan office environment, and we're peacefully working away. Uh, and this guy walked in off the street uh, and he wanted to speak to somebody in charge. He was looking for a job, he didn't have any work, he wanted to, you know, he didn't even know what we did. He was just looking for work and he was basically going door to door through every company down that street in the hopes of finding some work. So he comes in and he wants to speak to the boss. Uh, and of course, our manager at that time, or our boss at that time, was in a meeting. He was busy with some people. So uh, the receptionist kind of said, well, you know, he's busy. He, um, so if you take a seat and you just wait a moment, then we'll connect you with him. Now, I wonder how you would respond in that situation. You're desperate. You're looking for work. You want to speak to somebody in charge. And you're told to just kind of take a seat, wait, and somebody will be with you in a moment. How would you respond? So this guy kind of stood there for a few moments, knew he had to wait for somebody, he had no problem with that. But instead of just simply sitting and waiting, he looked around the office and saw a couple of guys working, and he started asking us if any of us needed our car washed while he waited. And I thought, isn't that amazing? Here's somebody who is looking for work and wasn't just going to sit and wait for it to be handed to him. He wouldn't just sit and wait and do nothing. He would do whatever he could to earn some income. 
Now, I wish that story had a great ending. We couldn't offer him a job because he had no IT skills whatsoever, and we couldn't take in any extra employees. Uh, and our paths have never crossed again, and will never cross. I'm, I'm convinced of this, perhaps one day in glory. But that illustration sticks with me. Rather than simply sit and wait, hoping that somebody would give him something, this individual, this guy, decided, I can do something while I wait. I can still try. I can still push. I can still search for work while I wait. Work while waiting. If you have your Bibles with you, why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 12. It'll be up on the screen as well. And we're going to be reading from verse 35 onwards. This is Jesus talking to the crowds following him and to his disciples as well. And Jesus has the following to say. He says, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. Will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Now, before we really get into this passage, before we really try and make sense of what Jesus is saying, we do need to go back to the beginning. Why did Jesus come? Why did the Godhead, our triune, eternally existing God of Father, Son, and Spirit, why did God condescend to come to earth? 
and to, in a sense, break the unity of that trinity. Why did Jesus come? Well, the gospel writers make that clear from the beginning of each of the gospels. Jesus came, in fact, when we looked at this in Luke chapter 3 and 4, a good couple of months ago, Jesus begins his ministry by reading from the prophet Isaiah, and he quotes the passage, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to preach good news, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to set the captives free. John, when he introduces his gospel and begins it in chapter 1, and he speaks about God or Jesus being the Word. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And later on in chapter 1, he says, the Word took on flesh and dwelt among us. And yet, we didn't realize who he was. Matthew and Mark both talk about the beginning of the gospel, how Jesus begins by preaching. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And, and so as we start to grapple with this question of why did Jesus come, the gospel writers make it clear. Jesus came to set captives free. Jesus came to redeem humanity. God came to take what we could not do. And the punishment that we needed to bear, he bore. So as to reconcile us to God. So Jesus came to restore life. Jesus came to give us life. Paul summarizes the gospel occasionally in his writings. And when he writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to die for our sin. Jesus came to reconcile us to our heavenly father. Jesus came so that we might live forever in the presence of God. Of course, that then leads to the following question that Jesus is starting to allude to in this morning's passage. Why would he be coming again? Why would Jesus now return to earth? Well, he's coming to inaugurate his eternal kingdom. To call us home. To be with him. To, to be with him in paradise. And so in today's text, as we begin in verse 35, and Jesus tells the story. And Jesus says, be dressed, ready for service. Like servants waiting for their master, so that when he comes, they will open up. And Jesus says three things in those few verses. Be ready, like servants who will receive from their master. Be ready. Live in expectation that he is coming back. Uh, I'm sure many of you have had that experience when you, your children were little or young. And you would get home and as you come in through the front door, I know I had this experience with my kids. I would open the door and before I've even finished saying that I'm home, they would be running down the passageway. Daddy! And they would come and latch onto me. Because they had expectation. Dad is coming home. He's here. Yes, they did their thing and, and whatever was taking place. But they knew dad's coming home. We're waiting for that moment. And if dad's taking a while, mom, where's dad? Where's he? Live with expectation. Be ready 
And Jesus says, it's easy for us to think, well, Jesus isn't coming back. You know, he was here 2,000 years ago. It just doesn't look like he's coming back. So, you know what, I, I just, no, I'm not going to live like that. Jesus says, be ready. Be ready. He's not delaying because he doesn't want to come back. God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. God gives us time and God invites and instructs his disciples, go and proclaim, go and preach so that others might be ready for my return. Be ready, but be ready like servants. Servants who serve the king of kings. Can I remind you, friends, you're not here to be served. Life isn't about you, no matter what those beauty makeup adverts tell you. We're not here to be served. We're here to serve others. We're here to give our lives in service to those in need. And it, it almost doesn't matter where. For some of us, we might end up serving in church in some way, whether it's in Sunday school, on worship, or in a mission field. But many of us, the place we serve is right at home. We serve our families. We serve our community. We serve our neighbors. If you're in a corporate environment or an office environment, you serve your colleagues. Jesus says, be ready like servants. Therefore, serve. Put a serving towel over your wrist and serve. And Jesus tells the parable in Matthew 25 and he finishes that parable off of the faithful servant doing what was entrusted to him. And Jesus says, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge with many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The writer to Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 speaks about entering into eternal rest. Entering into that Sabbath rest with God as a reward for our faithful service. Be ready as servants. And as he talks about that, sorry, those who receive from the master, he gives an illustration. And the illustration highlights the fact that we don't know when Jesus will come back. So be ready. You know, I, I had an interesting experience. This is a true story. Uh, you're not going to believe me, but it's a completely true story. I was about 10 or 11 years old. And my parents owned a school. Now, I know that kind of just straight up sounds a little bit weird. It was a small private school that was used as a feeder school for a number of the, what we would call private schools in the area. And as a feeder school, it started from pretty much kindergarten age. So there were four-year-old kids up to about grade one or two, somewhere around there. Uh, and it was the cutest thing because they all wore uniforms. You imagine a class full of four-year-olds running around with a little blazer. It was just awesome. But, so they owned the school, which was in quite an old kind of mansion uh, building, you know, it was this Cape Dutch big style thing. You can Google what that looks like, this huge mansion. Uh, and so my room was kind of right out in the back, because of course it's a school, it's not a house, it's a school. And so I shared a room with my brother out in the back of the house, and my parents were on the other side, which we were fine with, you know, because then they didn't hear the noise of what my brother and I were getting up to late at night. But one night, we're in bed, we're asleep, house is in darkness. And about the middle of the night, my bedroom light goes on. 
And there's a random dude in the doorway. And he clearly shouldn't be there. This ain't his house. But I'm a helpful kind of guy. And he started asking because he was looking for a box. Because he had seen a TV in one of the other rooms and he wanted a box to put the TV in so he could take the TV. (laughs) And being the helpful kind of guy that I am, I explained to him where he would find the garage. And there were a couple of boxes in the garage. And there we go. Now, thankfully, while this interchange was taking place, my older brother had the presence of mind to go, I should probably call my dad. And he ducked out behind the guy and took off and called my dad. And my my dad came through. And by the time my dad came through, I was fast asleep. And this guy was nowhere to be found. Now, thankfully, we we had some uh, people who lived on the premises involved in the school environment. So my dad went and called uh, one of the guys, and they went and tried to find. And eventually, out the back, quite close to the garage, they found this guy. He was completely drunk and high. And somehow, he had found an opening into the school by one of the kind of door areas that maybe hadn't been locked in. He was just wandering through the school. He had no idea where he even was. So my parents called the cops, and they took him, and off he went, and it was fine. Do you know I remember nothing of that story? I slept through the whole thing. All I remember is the light going on. I don't even remember having a conversation with this guy, telling him where to find the box. Do you think my night might have been a little bit more different if somebody had said to me, hey, Brian, in the middle of the night tonight, some random burglar is going to walk into your bedroom? I would not have slept. I may have picked up a baseball bat or something. I'd be ready. And Jesus says, of course. If you know somebody's coming, if you know somebody has malicious intent, you're going to be ready for it. So live like that in light of my return. I am coming again. Therefore, be ready for it. And I I love, as he says this, how Peter, the spokesperson for the disciples, kind of says, hey, Jesus, great story. Is this for us or for the crowds? And I love Jesus' answer because Jesus' answer is simply yes. (laughs) And in true Jesus fashion, He answers again with an illustration. And he talks about the manager who's been entrusted. And again, this was normal for that culture of that day. One of the master's servants would be appointed to oversee the master's possessions and belongings and home and everything that was under his roof. And so a a servant is appointed as the manager while the master goes away. And there are one of two ways this can go. Either the servant proves to be faithful... And he works with integrity and he he does what needs to be done. And if the servant works like that, the master's going to know. And Jesus says, the master who finds that servant working like that will be rewarded. Rewarded with more responsibility, rewarded with more work. The other option is for that servant to think, hey, I'm going to live large. I've got access to the the food. I've got access to the wine. I I can do whatever I want. I can beat the servants and get drunk and and I'm going to enjoy life. And of course we all know, well, that's a foolish servant who does that. 
Because that master is going to come back. And when that master comes back and finds the servant doing that, you better believe it's over for that servant. He's out of here. And Jesus says, if you've been given something, something will be demanded or something will be expected. So therefore, don't ignore this warning. Don't ignore this teaching. Jesus says, I am coming back. That's the whole point of this passage. That's the whole point of these two stories. Jesus tells his followers, Jesus tells his disciples, Jesus tells you and I, I am coming back. How will you be found when the King of Kings returns? Will you be found doing the work of the Lord? Or will you be found ignoring and taking advantage of the Master's riches? I was chatting with somebody the other day and we got talking about sort of the end of life. And it's a topic we don't always want to talk about. It's a topic we don't always enjoy. As a pastor, I've been in that season of people's lives, and particularly in hospitals or places like that, at deathbeds and the end of someone's life. And I pass no judgment. I make no commentary on people's lives. But I'm always amazed at how often it seems to be one of two responses in that place. It's, it's sometimes very easy to be in that place and to say, well, why hasn't God taken me? I, I'm tired. I just want to go home. I'm in pain or, or you know, I'm ravaged by a disease. I feel alone. I feel abandoned. I, I just, I wish I was dead. But then on the other side, there are those who, who are, are kind of, they have this view of, well, I'm not dead yet. I can still do stuff. I'm always amazed that people who physically can do nothing, but they'll be lying in that bed and anybody and everybody who comes into that room will hear about the grace of God, will hear about the, the generosity of God, will hear about the mercy and the goodness of God in their lives. Let me tell you, friends, if you're not dead, you're not done. Even if you're on your deathbed, if you're not dead, you're not done. There is always room to serve. There is always room. There is always a time to work for the master until he comes again. Now, I know some of you might kind of say, well, Brian, what if I'm literally asleep when Jesus comes back for me? Like, is that going to be a bad thing? No. In fact, that's probably going to be the best thing because then you won't know. You'll just kind of eyes open and be like, oh, well, that's new. (laughs) When I read this Story. When I read this account, I take it to mean the trajectory of my life. And some of you might need to hear this this morning. Jesus invites us not to sit and wait, not to lie moping on a deathbed, metaphorically, but to live with a life in a trajectory of serving the king. So that when he returns... Whether for you individually as you pass away, or on that glorious day where he returns and takes all of us home, there's that trajectory of serving, of working, of saying, Jesus, I'm not done. I can still do. I can still tell. I can still serve. I can still proclaim the gospel. You see, the life that lives in that trajectory is the servant that will be blessed by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
My friends, as you read this passage, as you hear the words of Jesus, don't take it as a guilt trip of, oh no, I haven't done enough. But rather as an invitation to say, what can I do while I wait? While I wait for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, where can I serve? And if you would live with that, if you would open your eyes to those possibilities, you'll be amazed at the countless places where you can serve and be a faithful and fruitful servant. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we listen to your words this morning, we are blown away how a short and and seemingly simple little story or two can be so profound and can call us into such richness and depth with you. God, I pray that this morning, by your Holy Spirit, each one of us would see and hear that invitation to realize that there's always a place to serve you. If we would keep our eyes open, if we would listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and then if and in faith we would step out of the boat or step onto the water, God, that we would see incredible things. Father, I pray for those who may feel guilty, who might look back over a lifetime and go, you know what, I've spent my life pursuing my own goals. I've spent my life trying to amass riches and wealth, and it hasn't been for God. God, I pray this morning you would remind us if we're not dead, we're not done. And your mercies are new every morning. You came to forgive and to redeem. And you'll do that even at the 11th hour. Oh God, help us, help each one of us, not to simply wait, not to simply resign ourselves and to mope, but to be found as faithful servants serving you, so that ultimately we would hear those words from our Heavenly Father, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come enter into your master's happiness. Come and enter into rest. Oh, Jesus, be glorified as we serve you. In your name we pray. Amen.